Hey everybody, this is Chris and Jason from Silver Solutions Podcast. Join us as we chat with people from around the globe as they share their real life stories of recovery. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe so you can easily find us and our latest episodes. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 64, and we have a very special guest with us tonight. We have Sonia Kay from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and she is the founder of Everbloom. Hey, Sonia, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thanks, Jason. How are you? Doing well. Um, I love the Bucks County connection. Um, I used to live in Bucks County myself recently moved out. So uh, I love to hear when people are from areas that I know in the country. Yeah, it's not the most exciting place to live, but it's it's really beautiful. <laughs> and you know, the people are very endearing and sweet. Um, I live close to New York City now, and it's a little bit of a change for me, but I'm I'm used to it. So it's really great to see you tonight. You too. Yeah, I split my time between New York and here. And so, yeah, when I come back here, I'm like ready to come back. Exactly. It's a little bit of like a reprieve from the city life, for sure. Well, I'm excited for you to share a little bit about yourself and your story and your uh, organization, Everbloom. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? My name is Sonia. I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and I moved to Boston when I was around 20 for school, um, and I stayed my parents are Indian immigrants, um, which means I grew up around a lot of drinking. Um, but in my culture, women don't drink. So it was just like these men just like acting like clowns on the weekends, just like binge drinking and getting DUIs and getting in fights and like just jail time, everything. So yeah, I think when I started drinking, it was just like, don't act like them, right? And so that's the idea when this like, high functioning kind of like popped into my head like okay if i'm getting good grades and i can wake up in time for class and i look okay i'm not getting arrested then i guess i'm okay it's a pretty low bar so yeah i think i started drinking when i was around 15 and it was like the greatest thing that ever happened it was like i took all my insecurities away my discomfort and yeah it just let me i don't know if you guys feel this way too like let me kind of be like more of like a mimic, right? Like I could kind of fit into different groups really easily. And in college, that was great. So I felt comfortable in different groups. And I kind of like, my personality was really fluid. I just kind of like could move between them. And then I binge drank probably until I was in my like late 20s, I was in school. So it kind of changed the frequency of my drinking. So I was so busy. So I wouldn't drink for a few weeks. But then when I would, it was like, just like oblivion, like just total oblivion. And then I go back to normal and I, you know, do school. And then when I started working full time and I started a business, that's when I started like drinking every day. And it was working like a lot, like building this business. So like 12, 14, 16 hours a day. And then I would get home and just like drink until I passed out. And I think it was pretty normal then. It was like this work hard, play hard, like Elon Musk is sleeping on the floor of his office kind of time. And so it was, it was like we fetishized, like, you know, working really hard. And so I really got into that. And then I just never really stopped. And then I got an offer to sell my business out of nowhere. And I didn't even know that we were building a, like a business to sell. Like I knew it had scaled, but I didn't really understand. And it was like the greatest thing that could ever happen. But I knew that 
if I wasn't as busy that I would start drinking like earlier. I had no idea like what would happen to me. So I quit just cold turkey. And then I think my recovery, like I didn't really have a recovery pathway, but it was just, I think for like, you know, 38 years, I had had this list of things I wanted to do. I wanted to go to school for photography. I want to take a jewelry making class. I want to, you know, bake a five layer cake. And so I did all the things and it got even better. It was like, I started like volunteering, um, teaching entrepreneurship to the incarcerated and formerly incarcerated. Um, I just got really involved with different like social impact organizations. And I was feeling really good. Like I was like, okay. And then it all comes crashing down. (laughs) So when it started to come crashing down, you know, tell us a little bit more about that. Like what happened when it started to do that for you? And what were some of the things that kind of came to your mind that said, oh, I need to start moving in a new direction? Yeah. So things were great. I was feeling like I was sharing a little bit about my addiction, albeit like mostly when I would visit prison because um, my husband wasn't super comfortable with the idea that his wife was an alcoholic or an addict. And so it wasn't something I would be sharing if we were out to dinner with friends. And so he basically never really found his footing after we sold our business. He was looking for a purpose, but he was really stuck in this kind of like success mode. And I had kind of like given it up. Like I was like, great, we achieved it. Like, let's move on. Let's do good things. Let's, you know, and I think he just, that wasn't who he was. He loved like the startup world. And I mean, he fit in, it's like a white male privileged world. And that that was his world. And so I think for a long time, I thought it was cute that we were so different that like, I kind of kept him grounded. Our friends thought it was really cute. Like, oh, he's so so intense. And, you know, it turned out it wasn't so cute because he wasn't very happy. And so he was struggling for a few weeks with the whole life purpose type thing pretty intensely. And then he woke up one day and just laughed. He said, I'm good. And he just left. We were, we had dinner the night before we walked our dogs, like, talked about like his life purpose, like we we had been for weeks. And then, yeah, I guess he had come sort of to the decision. I don't know when that maybe I was the problem. And so he was pretty clear, like on his way out the door was like, you know, you're, you're happy with too little. He literally said that he said, you're happy with your family. You don't feel the need to have like a wider social circle. You're introverted. Um, You're not as ambitious anymore. Like you don't feel the need to like grow another business. And so, and that wasn't necessarily true. I just didn't feel the need to grow a business that had no positive impact. So that was awful. It was like, we'd been together 18 years. So it was devastating. Um, And then I remember the next morning he left me with our two tiny dogs. And so um, I went for a walk on the Hudson. I was in New York and I just thought like, what's the point of staying sober? Like I got sober for this like life we had created. And so what was I going to do? And I just wanted a break from this like pain and thought, well, temporarily, I know I'll feel better if I do, if I go to the bar or do whatever. And New York's not an awesome place to be questioning (laughs) your sobriety. 
But instead, I walked back to my apartment and I went to a meeting online um, of a group that a friend of mine had told me about. And it was like the 8 a.m. meeting. And there's like 215 people on the Zoom. And that was fine for that day. I wasn't going to get on camera anyway. I think I'd like burst a blood vessel in my eye from crying. <laughs> and it wasn't like the day to get, and I, you know, I wasn't ready to talk about it. And so I kept going to the 8 a.m. meeting and... I love hearing people's stories, like sobriety stories, but it also felt like a lot of people at these meetings were like under 90 days, right? And it felt like I have to stay sober for these people. Like they would do anything to have what I had five years at that point. And so it worked for that. It really, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay sober. Um, but I wasn't really getting what I needed out of the meetings at some point after like maybe like six, seven weeks, I was like, I, I need to talk about what's going on with me. But I don't need to talk into like a void, like a 200, like little box void, I need to talk and get some feedback. Like I need people to tell me I'm going to be okay. I need some tips. I need just anything like just some advice, like, hey, I went through something maybe not even that similar, but I went through a major life transition and this is what helped me. Like, and so, and I was so lucky. I have like two amazing sister-in-laws that um, had been through a divorce, both with my brother and, uh, and he was an alcoholic. And so they were really sensitive to it. Um, I have three nieces and two are teenagers and they were like, Auntie Sonia, there's so many men out there. It's going to be amazing. So I had support. I had a friend who was going through a divorce, but one, they weren't together. And two, none of them really understood that this was part of my sobriety journey. That like all the like tools that I had like picked up, like I needed to use them, like the journaling and the meditating and like all the things that you do. Like I had to eat properly. I had to keep exercising. I wasn't doing those things. I just had stopped doing everything. And so I started to just think like, I, I need a different type of support than like what's out there. And because I'd already had, you know, success in like a business, I didn't need to like reinvent the wheel. Like if it was out there, I didn't need to create it. Um, and I looked and it wasn't. And I thought, so there's nowhere I can just go with like a small group to like chat about and, and something consistent, right? Like something with a consistent format and something with like, I'm setting goals and I'm like, we're, you know, we're doing things every week. And so I was still in really bad shape. And I went, um, my sister-in-laws were like, you need to get out of Bucks County. Like you're just isolating yourself. And I had gone home to Toronto for a while, but always kept ending up back in the woods. And so I went to Costa Rica by myself. And um, the first night I just, I mean, I couldn't believe I was on a vacation by myself. And um, by the second night, I started thinking like about the idea of Everbloom. And it's like started mapping it out. And I thought like, I mean, it was kind of depressing. I thought, what are the shitty things you've gone through in your life, right? And like, at what point could you have joined a different group for it? And so I was like, oh, you know, I've struggled with uh, self-esteem, self-confidence, imposter syndrome. I've struggled from like job burnout, um, life purpose, now like a really bad breakup. And, and it kind of like went on and on. And I thought, 
there's something here. I may be too depressed right now to figure it out, but there's something here. And so I started slowly working on a pitch deck just because that's like what I knew how to do. Like I had been angel investing. And so, and I didn't do it to pitch anyone. I just started, just did it to like formalize my ideas. I mean, I did like one slide a week and I got it done. And then I thought, all right, what do you want to do with this? And again, like I needed support of some sort. So I joined um, a business accelerator in New York and it was amazing. It was like, I could do it at any pace. So when I started, I could like do a couple of hours and then I went on and I was like, okay, I'll do all day. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. And then um, the best part was like, part of the business accelerator is you test your idea. And so you have to interview as many potential clients as possible. And I interviewed like just the best people, like the best, like guys who have been in AA for like 60 years. I interviewed, um, I interviewed multiple witches, like witches could be a group. Sober witches could have their own group. I could not believe it. I haven't started that one yet, but it's on my list of like sober witches. And so, and so what it came down to is like people sort of in my position, like they'd been sober for a bit, like a couple years, two, three, four, they didn't go to meetings because they didn't, either they didn't resonate with AA or they kind of used it to get sober and they didn't want to keep going on with steps and sponsoring. And, but they also felt like the people that I interviewed felt like they weren't necessarily seen in AA. They weren't necessarily. So I think some people also live in different areas, right? And so you go to an AA meeting and it could be all middle-aged, like white men. That's not the meeting I went to in New York City, for sure, right? It wasn't the meeting I was going to, but I understand that people are in different areas. And so, and people also really wanted to have conversations and they didn't want to make speeches. Like I did, I don't want to make speeches. I can't do it. Like I just can't. And I, and I noticed that in the online meetings that, people would like raise their little zoom hand. And then when they would start talking, they would say like, Oh, thank God. I just want to get this over with like their share. And I was like, what's the point of that? Like, who's that? What do you mean? You just want to like, I get it that you have to check the box off like 30 shares in 30 days or whatever it is you're doing, but that can't be like really getting the job done. Yeah. So I finished up interviewing and I remember talking to my mentor at the accelerator and he's like, you have something, you have something. I know you have something. And um, I'm not going to shout out, but interestingly enough, the business that had gone through the accelerator before me was a company that um, prescribed naltrexone online for alcohol use disorder. So they were like kind of familiar with the space, like at the accelerator. And they were like, no, 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 this is a thing. This is a thing. So yeah, I just kept going and kept like, working on some ideas for like websites and like messaging. And that's sort of where we are. And so I've like started a few weeks ago and I have some groups. People are like, I have so much interest and yeah, that's what's going on. I can tell you more about the groups, but yeah. Wow. I didn't realize it was um, that much in its infancy just by your presence online. That was great. Sober Solutions, when we started, we put a big emphasis on not being part of any 12-step programs or other recovery programs. And I, I agree with you. When I go to meetings, I really, I thrive with connection. 
I think connection is what keeps me sober. I am doing the steps. I do the work. I go to meetings. But if I can name one thing that keeps me sober, it's connection. Whenever I'm in the car, I call someone. I make sure I follow up with people. Like talking to people is the thing that I thrive from. And when I was hearing your story, what I really kept going back to is right when I got out of rehab, the IOP meetings, you're in these, you know, 10, 12, eight person therapy meetings guided by a therapist and the amount of just self-knowledge that you pick up in those meetings and the crosstalk is encouraged. So that's the big difference is in those meetings, you're allowed to crosstalk, your therapist wants you to crosstalk. You can call bullshit on people. You can get bullshit called on yourself and it helps. I am in AA and I used to be in NA. Now I'm in AA, but uh, throwing that out for the listeners. I think there's definitely a purpose for both. And obviously, you know, the history and the success with AA. However, I agree with you. I mean, you definitely have something. So can you talk a little about maybe the connection that people experience within the meetings? The under 90 days meeting is like, it's like watching a miracle. Like, it's just amazing. So, it's, you know, people come in and they're like, I mean, I don't know if you remember the 90, first 90 days. Like, I was just I was like a raw, like shaking mess, like just like jumpy and like, and so it's amazing. And the coaches are there just to guide the conversation. They're not there to like lead it. It's really the members meeting. And so the format is, tell us what's been going on. Like, what are you struggling with? What have you had success with? And then get feedback, advice, support from your group. And then we just keep going. And so we do that. And then at the end, we um, set goals. And so you set goals and then intentions on how to achieve the goals. And then, you know, we meet again and see how that went. And so it's not a super complicated format, but I feel like it's something that it is for certain people, like certain people that need to like, I need to set goals. And I think it does help. You're right. Like when it's like a small that, yeah, we're in that eight to 10 people range. And even guys at AA, I asked them when I was interviewing, I said like, what is your favorite? Like what, if you could make your ideal group, what would it be? And I remember this guy saying, oh, during COVID, we had like a meeting in one of the guy's backyards and it was like eight to 10 of us. And we were at all different points in sobriety and we just talked about what was going on in our lives. Like things come out during these meetings that you wouldn't normally think would come out, especially like the self-esteem, self-confidence meetings. Like people are so vulnerable. Like I, it makes me be more honest. Like even when I'm journaling, I'm like, oh my God, am I writing like just bullshit? Like, am I, like, am I, am I just like confusing myself when I'm journaling? I don't know if you ever feel that way. You're like, I might wait, is this real? Yeah. So, so yeah, the meetings are great. Like they're just, you know, I hope as time goes on, we can get even more like niche, like, and so just more people, the more people we have, the more specific the meetings um, can get. And it's not, it definitely won't give you, no one is matched. It's not a demographic match. It's not like 35 to 40 year old white women sitting in a, you know, a zoom room talking like about like the last time they went to Costco or whatever. It's not that it's like a broad spectrum of people. I think you bring up a great point because I've sat in a backyard before and just had a conversation around recovery. And 
it wasn't even really about recovery. It was about us. And I think if there's something that I see as missing in AA meetings or CMA meetings, I'm also part of the CMA fellowship, is that yes, they're structured and they're structured for a purpose. I'm fully on board with that. But it leaves out that point that let's actually connect. Because Chris, I'm I'm right there with you. The community has been the reason why I'm sober today. And, you know, Sonia, when I'm, I was looking at your website, I think you call it a, that sense of belonging in terms of that community. And I think that's missing from a lot of structured 12-step groups is that, yes, there's a topic or there's a speaker or we're reading a chapter from one of the books, but we don't actually get to talk about like the shit that's really going on in our lives unless we raise our hand and share and sometimes we get to do that and other times we don't feel comfortable because it's not about the topic or not about the chapter or not about the quote that we just read. And so I think it's a, a great opportunity for people to just go and connect. And so, you know, you mentioned the, the uh, 90 Days and Under group. Um, you mentioned that the groups aren't really based on demographics. Um, but tell us a little bit more about the groups and specifically, you know, how does someone, one of our listeners join one of these groups? I still check out meetings all the time, right? Like it's, I was just at a meeting at like seven o'clock and it was interesting because it was like, they put up a page and they're like, if you're going to say something off topic, it's because you are literally about to relapse. And you can do that right at the beginning of this meeting. And so, and no one, no one like raised their hand. It was just like, okay, it's fine. I'll just, yeah. And so, um, yeah, so how you get connected with Everbloom is you just go onto the website. And right now we're offering a, anyone can come to the before 90 day meeting just to check it out. And I think that's like, I don't want people to feel like they're risking anything to start, like, especially in the first 90 days. And so, yeah, then go to the website, click a link and sign up for a meeting. Um, there's one tomorrow, there's one on Monday, and then there's one again on next Thursday. And um, and for other people that are not like that are over 90 days, they can they fill out a pretty lengthy survey so that we can get them into the right group. And so it's not like an invasive survey, but it's things like like what what is going on right now. And then there's also an area where you can just like write, you can just tell me, like write a paragraph about what's happening. And that's where like the really interesting stuff happens. And that's been happening since even we were just taking signups for a while, like before the new year, we were just getting people to sign up. And then, then we were going to figure out like what meetings and when and everything, but like, Hey, are you interested? And people were writing things that are just like, it would just blow your mind, like how open and how, yeah, how raw some people are. So yeah, so that's, yeah, you just sign up, do the survey, and then we'll contact you when we have, I mean, within 24 hours and get you set up with a group that really like matches what you're going through, the same kind of experiences. I have a bunch of like structure questions because I'm very interested. The groups, will they generally have, um, I guess is the goal to have the same people from week to week, right? Same time kind of thing. I think the consistency is important just because, I mean, I know when I was like very, at the very beginning, I like, I don't know, I, like I, I wasn't eating properly. So if I come back the next week and I'm like, Hey guys, I had like a healthy meal. They like know that it means something. So I think the consistency. Yeah. And you don't have to 
just kind of go over your story every time. So yeah, the consistency is key. It won't always, I mean, especially with the before 90 days, people drop out, they come in, they drop out, but they graduate. Yeah. But for the most part, at least there's some consistency. You'll have the same coach 90 something percent of the time. And so are they coaches or therapists or how did, how are you vetting that? Yeah. I feel like, yeah, we're happy to refer people who, you know, want therapy or want naltrexone treatment or anything, but I, we just keep it like, this is just a community. This is yeah, I'm not going to like make it more than it is. I'm not like selling merch. Like it's just come hang out and like talk. And I remember at the beginning saying to my sister-in-law, like, oh, every time I get an email from my divorce lawyer, I feel like someone's stabbing me in my eye. And she's like, yeah, that's how it feels. And it just that makes you feel like so much better. And even in a, you know, in a recovery group, you can see like every time I get that email, I feel like someone's stabbing me in my eye and telling me to go get a drink and people will be like, yeah, that's how it feels. And then you don't, and then you take a deep breath. And so, yeah, I think there is something to just getting that feedback. I have a personal question for you. Um, and I, and I hope this isn't too much, but something that resonated with me, I'm divorced as well. And so I understand everything that you're saying about this right now. But when your now ex-husband was saying to you, you know, you're into too little. And how has that changed for you? And has Ever Bloom been part of that? And if it hasn't changed for you, has your perspective on that changed? So if you can share a little bit about that. It was crushing, right, to hear that. And it took me months to put together the idea that my recovery had ultimately caused the end of the marriage, right? Like that took, I really didn't want to admit that because that is like, what does that say to other people? Like you get sober and your husband leaves? Like I, it just isn't a great message. But I think again, like I had support. I had people saying like the changes you made, like you're so, you're just like, you're great. These are great things you're doing. Like you can't question yourself. And I don't know if you guys have had this in your life where when you're making these types of changes and you're growing and you're like looking at yourself and someone with you isn't or isn't willing to do that, that creates a lot of friction. Like if the other person doesn't want to grow, doesn't want to look at their issues. And so, yeah, so admitting it was big. And then having having a way, like an, an outlet, like having Everbloom and thinking, I'm going to take this horrible, horrible thing that happened to me. I'm going to try to like, let's just help one person. Like just one would be fine. Like that. And that, yeah. And it, my perspective is interesting because the whole, like th that idea that I didn't have like ambition or a purpose, it's like, I, I did. It just wasn't what you wanted. Like, it wasn't going to be like, you know, I'm not going to like start the next like four wick candle company that, you know, like it, it, what it had to mean something. And so, yeah, I feel affirmed. I think I don't, my perspective is that what he said was true and that's okay. He's right. I was like, like at 23, when we met, like, was I introverted? Probably not. Like I was like 
partying. Like I was like a different person, like in his defense, right? Like he married a very different person who was like life of the party. And then, you know, became somebody who like wants to hang out with her teenage nieces and like bake a pie. Like that's not, it's not the person that he married. And so, yeah, a lot has changed, like how I've thought about it and how much it hurts. Like that doesn't hurt now to say it. I don't know if you feel, you know what I mean? Like when I first would say it, it felt like, oh my God, like I would be baking. I remember I was baking on our anniversary, our first non-anniversary anniversary. And we were crying being like, this is why he left because you're baking, you're, ba you're making a trifle. Like, why are you, who are you? Why are you doing this? I get that. I get all of that. And I'm glad that you were able to take that very painful moment and transform it into an organization that is not just helping one, one person, but has the potential to impact dozens or hundreds or thousands or millions. Um, so I, I really want to applaud you for that. The next thing that I'll say, and I'll let Chris go after this, is that I love that simplicity of my life now. You know, my partner is 10 and a half years sober. I'm two and a half years sober. And like some days, the simplicity of just like making a HelloFresh meal with each other or for each other is so enjoyable because we don't have the chaos of life you know, and he has his amazing things going on in his life. And I have my amazing things going on in my life. But we get to enjoy that simplicity in life of just like following instructions, which is really, really great. And I think like if you can't enjoy that, there is something you need to look at, right, in yourself. And so, yeah, I think if you, if some people crave that, they want that chaos, but that's some, and, and I think that's what he wanted. He went and he went and got it. So, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, when I was in my twenties, I was definitely extroverted life of the party, going to the city, going to the Jersey shore, just constant looking for that rush. And now like I look for the complete opposite. I look for that simplicity, having two kids, you know, you can't always get that. However, that is what I crave and that is where I gain my energy. You know, I've definitely become that introvert that you guys are talking about. And it's like, you're like, I'll go to a cocktail party and I'll like, I'll talk about my childhood trauma now. Like, let's talk about that. That's a great icebreaker. <laughs> I'm talking about anything. Like I, I went to the farmer's market and I was telling the pickle guy that my husband left. Like, it's like. I feel like these are the real things, right? Instead of like, oh, let's go to the strip club or let's, you know, like that wasn't like authentic in a way. Yeah, going back to connection, right? Like let's actually have a connection and get to know each other. You'd be amazed too. Like the pickle guy was like, sister just got divorced. And like, you know, like people are have been through stuff or know people who have been through stuff. I think that's a great point. It really is that we don't know everybody else's story. We don't know what other people have gone through unless they have the ability to actually share it with us. And they might not have the ability because we're so caught up in our day-to-day -day activities or we feel ashamed of our, like you said, our trauma or our past or the things that were, are going on in our life. And so by withholding what's going on in our life, we don't give people the space to share what's going on in their life. 
And I think, you know, that's something that Everbloom really just allows people the space to do that. And going back to Chris's point is it allows them to connect. Yeah. I mean, it's something that um, someone said to me, I thought I was like leaning too much on my sister-in-laws. And someone said like, do you know how much they've probably wanted to have, like, you've always been the one without any problems, right? Like you've been there for them, like whenever anything happens and like, they are probably so grateful to be able to give that back. Like they, you know, nobody wants to be the one who's always like receiving. So it's like, it's a way for other people to give back. And that's, I feel like Everbloom is like, it. I was telling someone it's like a piggy bank. So it's like, when you're doing well, I was doing well for five years. I should have been making deposits in this, you know, group piggy bank. And then when I hit a roadblock, I could start like withdrawing. And so, yeah, it makes you really think about like the importance of like even just letting yourself like lean on people, which I think the one of the reasons we drink is because we don't want to, right? Like we just want to forget it happened. Well, I think uh, we can all agree that Everbloom has a ton of potential and we wish you so much luck. Uh, one question that we always kind of end with is if you were to give one piece of advice to either the newly sober or someone with, you know, five, 10 years, uh, what would that one piece be? I think this is an AA one, never question the decision. Yeah, I question it. But then when I do, I think never question the decision. Awesome, Sonia. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. We really appreciate uh, your story and telling us about Everbloom. And and like Chris said, I, I think it has the potential to really reach more than just that one person. I'm sure it already has. So thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks so much for having me, guys. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, everyone. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.